bankruptcy, divorce laws, disability, probate, there are so many classes on the path to practicing law. Unfortunately, most schools fail to instruct you on the business of law. This is Solo De Facto, a show dedicated to discovering the success secrets that exist in the reality of running a solo practice. My goal is to find the one thing that separates each guest from the rest to give you practical solutions to create a thriving firm. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist. Welcome, everyone. I'm so happy to be here today with another episode of Solo De Facto. Today's guest is a, a the host of Be That Lawyer podcast and author of Sale Free Selling, The Death of Sales and the Rise of a New Methodology. He's also president of Fretzen Inc. Steve Fretzen, thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks, Corey. Nice to be here. So I am really excited to just dive right into this. I'm going to ask you my big pressing question, and that is, what is the one thing that you wish attorneys knew about running a successful law firm? The thing that attorneys know now that they didn't know when they were going through law school is the importance of getting your own clients. And I can't tell you how many lawyers say to me, I just wish I had learned this in law school, or they never taught me this in law school. And, you know, business doesn't happen um, without your own clients. Now, if you're at a big firm, you can get work handed down to you. But I think what lawyers are starting to figure out is that when you have your own clients, there's control, there's freedom, there's independence, there's um, balance that you can have in your life that you just don't get when you've got five bosses all telling you what work to do. So I think it's, it's, it's something that they wish they knew. And now I think it's come to the forefront and we're starting to really get some movement for lawyers to understand the importance of, of having their own business. And so when you say that you need to have your own business, what is the first step to making that happen for an attorney who's interested in that? Well, I mean, if we really want to go back to the beginning, I would say lawyers, you know, in law school or not lawyers, but like people that individuals that are going through law school to become lawyers, they really should be considering who's in their classes, who's sitting to their left and their right, um, developing relationships, because in five, 10, 15 years, the, the lawyers that you're dealing with and engaging with every day in a classroom setting could be the GC general counsel of a big corporation, or could be a lawyer that could refer you business or whatever. And so I think it starts with networking and relationships at the very basic level. And then for lawyers that are going out on their own or lawyers that are working at a, at a firm, uh, you know, the, obviously just identifying that this is an important part of what you need to do to be a successful lawyer. It's not just about practicing the law. It's the other, it's the business of law side of it that needs to come to the forefront. I think that's something I've touched on this with other guests on the show too, but it's being a good attorney isn't enough to have a good law firm or a successful law firm. You have to know all of those other pieces of business because nobody's going to come to you just because you're a good attorney. You have to figure out how to convince them that you're a good attorney and that you're good at what your job, that you're good at getting results for the people that you're helping. What, when somebody is, um, you know, trying to figure out how to start a business and, or how to improve what's happening right now, what are the things that are often overlooked, um, that they might not even consider that that's a skill that they need to work on? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I know is really helpful to the attorneys that I engage with is, is getting a basic plan written. It's like the difference between if I want to go, let's say, for example, take a trip through Africa, that would be like a dream trip for me, but I'm going to go from the bottom of the continent to the top. 
And I'm just going to just going to walk there, I guess I'll walk from the bottom to the top. I don't have any money. I don't have any provisions. I don't have a guide. I don't have a map. I'm just going to try on my own to go make it from the bottom to the top. I'll probably be eaten by a lion or attacked by people like within, you know, hours, like it's not going to be a very successful journey for me. So I think it's important for lawyers to understand the getting a plan in place of how you're going to not only bill your hours, but also how you're going to develop clients. And so figuring out what you want to achieve as the main goal or overarching objective, and then breaking it down into, you know, what are the things I can do that I feel comfortable with, or that I could learn to be comfortable with, like networking or development of strategic partners, like other lawyers, or I have 10, 15, 20 clients, and maybe I could go to them. And in a, in a, if I have a good approach, they'll send me, you know, other, other GCs, CEOs, et cetera, to work with or talk to because I'm a good lawyer. And so lawyers just don't know kind of what to do. And so a written plan is a great place to start. And I cover a lot of that ground in, in, in I've written now four books and the new one's coming out called legal business development isn't rocket science. And there's chapters on every aspect of what lawyers need to do. Um, it's just a matter of, of, of the willingness to learn and to understand that if there's something you don't know, and it's important to your career, you, you need to you need to take some time to to talk to somebody and and read something or listen to something like a podcast that's going to get you the, that information. Have you ever come across um, an attorney who's like, I just really don't want to do this part, or I don't think I'm good at this part. I don't want to focus on that at all in my yeah. firm. What kind of advice do you give um, people when they say things like that to you? I mean, I hear that every day. And then on top of that, I've also heard someone say, and I hate people. So deal with that. I mean, right. So what I, the thing that I need in a client to be successful is interest and motivation. If there's interest and motivation, everything else can be learned. Everything else can be worked through. My whole job is to take something that's incredibly uncomfortable to attorneys and they never wanted to do. They never got into law to go sell legal services. That's not something I think most attorneys or any attorneys really think about. And now they've got to do this terrible thing called selling legal services. So my job every day is to try to make it as soft and warm and fuzzy and comfortable as possible. But also we have to go out and do things that might in some ways be uncomfortable, uh, like having a conversation with a client about possible referrals they might make to me or to you or to whatever. Um, and, and, and networking where you have to go up and introduce yourself to people. A lot of lawyers don't want to do that. And I do work with some of the most introverted attorneys, um, you know, intellectual property attorneys and otherwise that they're just terrified of all of this stuff. So, but here's the, here's the good news. What they're, what they're missing and afraid of and is, is really more about winging it and trying to like go out and make a fool of themselves or go out and fail what they're really looking for are systems and processes and methodologies and language. Well, that's exactly what I'm providing. So I'm taking some very introverted, uncomfortable attorneys and by providing steps that are simple to execute and language that makes it less salesy, they buy in very quickly. And then once I've got them bought in a little bit and then they try it out and see how it works, then I really have them hooked. And then it, then it becomes a whole different game. They, they feel very comfortable going out and getting business and making it a regular part of their lives after that. But it's just, it's just getting over that initial hump sometimes. 
Yeah, sometimes the unknown is so scary, especially when you have um, never done something like that before and you don't know where to start and you're afraid of making a fool out of yourself. I actually relate that um, to this podcast because I had no idea what I was doing when I started this podcast. And I had somebody coach me and just tell me, this is the way that it works. This is how you um, take people through the initial call. And then this is how you're going to go through the show. And this is how you're going to end the show and then all of these pieces and then once you get to doing it through these guidelines it's so easy and I think that's something that a lot of people are probably missing is that like educational piece that nobody talks about of how do I do that I know I need to do it but how do I do it but isn't it interesting that we have children that go to school that have teachers they have coaches for sports they have all this all this you know learning that takes place and then as adults we don't want to take instruction. We don't want to learn. We don't want to teach or a coach anybody in our lives. We just want to figure it out. And what happens is we're, we would, I would never say my son is, a, is into diving. He's a freshman and into diving. Okay. I was like, you know, Andrew, just figure out how to go dive, just start, get a diving board and just start jumping off and figure it out on your own. Well, how long is that going to take versus having a really successful coach walk him through how to prepare for a dive, how to exit the board, how to enter the water, and then how to make improvements over time. And that's what, that's why all the top executives in the world and the top uh, athletes and everyone else have coaches because they don't want to take all that time, energy, and money to figure it out and waste all that time. They'd rather do it and cut to the chase and get someone to help them the way you got help on your podcast. And by the way, I did the exact same thing. I have a production company that did it gave me everything. All I had to do was improve my on-air presence because obviously when you start off and you know this, right, you're a little stiff and uncomfortable. And then right after you get through five or 10 or 20, everything loosens up. And by now I'm on 150. How many, I mean, how many, how many are you on now? I think I'm coming up on 30. On 30? I'm not sure exactly what, what number this one is for me, but it's getting up there. And but I, how much the, better though, right? I yeah. Mean, it's it's so much more comfortable. Yeah. And I, when I first started, um, cause I'm an introvert, you know, I don't, I don't spend my days seeking out conversations like this, which is why it's actually kind of surprising that I love the podcast so much, but I started out like, okay, I need a full script because I am scared I'm going to say the wrong thing. And now here I am. I'm not looking at a script. I'm talking to you. Yeah, which we're is having from, a conversation, right? And yeah. it's, more, it's more interesting than a script or, or someone that's reading something. That's just, that's not authentic. And it doesn't create a sense of intimacy with the listener who is interested in the topic and is interested in hearing um, uh, a, a conversation where they can get value out of that and, and enjoy it along the way. That's really the goal, I think, of most successful podcasts. Definitely. And I think it's something that is really valuable in um, that is you realize that there might be things that you didn't know you'd be good at too, because when you're talking about somebody is scared to go network, they might do it with your guidance and the rules or whatever it is that like every step-by-step instruction that you give, and they might realize I'm actually really good at this and I love it. And that makes the business part more enjoyable as well, because they're not trying to figure it out and hating it the whole time. They've discovered that they like this piece of running their business and um, that leads to success. Yeah. Or maybe it's, it's just tweaking like some introverts, for example, and maybe you fall into this category a little bit, Corey, 
you know, like going to a big social mixer with hundreds of people and cocktails and everybody's walking around aimlessly mingling and trying to figure out who to talk to next, that would crush most introverts. Like they would hate that scenario. However, what if we figure out that a better way to go is to get introduced by people, you know, to other people They have one-on-one coffees and zoom meetings and conversations individual. Well, that's maybe much more comfortable. Well, then let's not do the other one. I mean, that's an option. Like we do, you don't have to do everything. You can pick things that work within some boundaries of what your comfort is. We can still go out of our comfort zone, but maybe not way out of our comfort zone. And there's still value in doing things to build business that aren't super uncomfortable. We can, we can work through and figure out, you know, is, do you have to do that or maybe not, you know, that might be an option too. Yeah. I definitely think that, um, having options for, you know, and finding which options are going to work for you is really important. Yeah. So what is the one thing that, or like the biggest mistake that you see people making when they are jumping into running a business and they don't have any business experience? What's like the one common thing that you're like, wow, everyone needs to stop doing this. I mean, it probably goes back to a past point, which is winging it. I, I just, there are so many people willing to share advice that are willing to step up and help you. I've got a, a friend of mine, um, Jeremy, who, you know, he not only set up his own solo practice, but he set up a small business helping other solos, people that want to go solo, for example, or start their own law firm uh, that he has. He's like, look, I spent all the time to figure this out. I've got it figured out and I can help you figure it out without wasting all that time and energy and money. So again, it's, it's always about leveraging people that have been there, done that, and they're willing to either, whether they charge you or not, you know, that, that may be, but who cares if it's going to shave a year or two off of your learning curve, um, you know, whether it's, it's getting a plan together, maybe it's having the right resources for legal tech uh, and support, uh, getting a bookkeeper. I mean, I'm constantly pushing my clients into delegation, how to delegate better, uh, because they're just doing too much and they're not realizing their full potential. So that's really the main thing I would say is that, that there are lawyers that will help lawyers. There are coaches that will help lawyers. There's content and books that you can read that will help edge that curve um, or curve that edge, you know, just make it, make it smoother to get through that transition. So I think that's probably the most important thing is to know that you're not alone. Even if you're feeling alone, you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. I like what you just said um, a minute ago about they're doing too much and because you can't be good at everything when you're trying to do everything, you have to pick something that you're good at and preferably you're going to pick your profession that you've gone into as an attorney. You want to be really good at being an attorney. You might not be really good at every other part of running a business, but you can delegate those parts that you're not and just pick the ones that you like doing so that you can continue focusing on being a really good attorney. And I think lawyers wait too long to let go of those types of administrative and marketing burdens. Um, They, they hold on for dear life. I've got a guy who uh, I've been working with and I'm just pounding him every single month to get a virtual assistant who can take stuff off of his plate and he's doing his books and he's, uh, you know, 10 hours a week of, of administrative burden. And it goes on and on and on. And I'm like, look, man, you can't, how, you know, and he's made, by the way, he's doing better than he's ever done. And it's just frustrating to me because I'm like, you have the cash flow. It's not a money issue. Some people don't want to spend the money. 
he's got the money. I go, you need to invest that money in some infrastructure because he actually has horses and he has a farm and like, he needs to be out riding his horses. He needs to be enjoying the, the company of his wife on the farm and then also practicing law. Not all this other stuff that's taking 20 and 10, 20 hours a week of his time away from, you know, billing hours and essentially enjoying his farm. Yeah, that's wild. I think sometimes that control of not not feeling like someone else can do it the same way that you can, but that's back to processes. Create a process so that somebody else can replicate what you're doing and help yeah. save you time. Exactly. So um, I want to move on a little bit. I want to hear more about you and your business. And I know that you are... Um, an author. And I know that you are helping all of these attorneys run successful practices, but what's one thing in business that you're really surprised that you're good at? You know, I, I think something that, uh, my wife, I guess would call a superpower. I don't know if it's a superpower or not because many people have the ability to do this. It's just coming up with softer ways to say something. You know, there's all these difficult conversations we have in life with family and friends and, and with a tough client and all that stuff. And so like, let's say, for example, my wife has to have a tough conversation with her father about something. She'll come to me and she'll be like, look, this is what's going on. This is what I need to say. And I always, I never, you know, offer advice until she asked for it, right? I've learned that about being, you know, being a, a father and a, and a husband. Um, not, I'm not always perfect on that, but I try. And then she'll say, but I really need some help in, you know, crafting some language or crafting an approach to how I'm going to face him and talk about this tough conversation. And I do this with clients every day, um, helping them wordsmith and come around email messaging and things so that it comes across very natural conversational and, and not forced. And I think that's something that I didn't really know I had a gift for. And it's, it's, it's paid off in, in spades, especially in how I, you know, relay my processes and content to the lawyers that I work with. They, they really buy into the language that I've created because it is so nurturing and warm and non-salesy, which is really what they want. Yeah, that's a wonderful skill. I um I also have that skill and I'm the person that everyone's like, okay, I need help with this email and I need help with this and I need yeah. help telling this person I need them to do this. Um and it's kind of exciting because you get to help people in a way that you're really good at, but that's pretty neat. Um yeah. So what is something that's exciting to you about the future or you know, this brand new year, 2022? You know, I think I did a really good job in 2020 of leveraging, you know, the positive side of a pandemic. If, you know, that, and there are many people that have, you know, taken advantage of it and, 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 and invested more in marketing, invested more in infrastructure and branding. And I feel like I did a really good job with that, whether it's the podcast, getting my fourth book completed, um, improving my social media exposure. Um, and, and also setting up uh, some peer advisory groups that was primarily a 2020 exercise. So in addition to coaching and training, which is my bread and butter, that's what I'm doing every single day, um, working with attorneys in a classroom and one-on-one -on -one to help them achieve some pretty radical goals and hit, hit some big numbers. I also uh, am facilitating now five roundtable groups, uh, and these are highly motivated and ambitious attorneys that want to leverage their own experiences in, in the practice of law to help each other. And I, I don't have to do much coaching and training in this 
program. I just facilitate them helping each other because they all have their own experiences and an expertise in marketing and business development, branding, and they share that with each other. And I love that. I love that collaboration. And I think that's also helped me expand my brand of not just being a coach and trainer, but also having services that are beneficial to people that maybe aren't interested or looking for coaching and training, which, which is wonderful. That's, that's been a great adventure for me this last year. That's really exciting. Um, so are you using any really cool technology? How are you making those roundtables work? Do you, is it all through zoom or how does that go? Yeah, it's primarily through zoom. Um, generally across the board, I love using breakout rooms. I think that's been a, been an absolute treasure. You know, when I used to teach classes face to face and that was, you know, the way I did things back in the day, right. Years ago, two years ago. Um, and now the idea that you can do breakout rooms and the idea that you can, um, uh, you know, leverage the power of Zoom to, to you know, record sessions and, and play back certain things and do presentations. It's really been a, an effective tool. Uh, so that's one. And then another one, and then, you know, look, I mean, it's all about time and, and how, how we spend our time. And I used to spend a tremendous amount of time um, scheduling appointments with people. And one of the best things I ever did for my business was get into Acuity and other people know Calendly, and there's a number of other automation tools for scheduling meetings, scheduling my podcast, scheduling networking, scheduling um, um, people that are interested in, in talking to me about my services. And I have links for them that they can click and then go through some kind of, a, you know, fill out the blanks and pick out a time. And I mean, the back and forth is over. That whole thing of going back and forth is gone. And I love it. I, that's been an absolute treasure of technologies that I've, that I've fallen into. And uh, there's a couple others, but that's, that's been a big one. That's awesome. We, uh, back office buddies, huge acuity fan. It makes it so easy to like control other people's schedules. But, um, the one thing I'm really holding out for is I want a good solution when you're trying to organize with a group that might not all be in the same organization. Cause yeah. that back and forth kills me of <laughs> five different people being like, this is what day I have. This day is not going to work for me. That kills me. Just well, I think time. there is one and I'm not remembering the name of it. It might be something to look up, but there is one in a, it's where you can send out a link and then, then a bunch of different people, they all see the, the shared calendar of what the open dates are. And then they select the ones and then it all comes together to see like what everybody ends up selecting that matches. So that does exist. I just don't remember the name of it, but that, uh, we could figure that out. Yeah. It looks like I need to Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a shared schedule thing. And it's not like Slack or anything. It's just, it's, it's like a, it's a scheduling tool specifically for groups of various people. Like when I used to work with, like, I don't work with law firms anymore, but back in the day, let's say I'm training 10 attorneys and I remember their marketing persons, you know, say, Hey, you know, we need to get a date together for this meeting. And then everybody would get this calendar and see where everybody has sort of selected as their open times. And then we'd pick the one out of 10, let's say eight out of 10 are able to make. And that would be the date that we would choose. And maybe it wasn't 10 out of 10, but it was like the best of, you know, some were three out of 10. Well, that's no good. So eight out of 10 was better. So yeah. um, we'll have to get that, uh, maybe put that in the show notes or do something with that. Yeah, definitely. All right. So now I know you have a really interesting story of how you got to where you are today. 
And I would love to hear more about that. Um, you know, where, how did you get to this point of being a four-time author and a successful trainer and coach? Well, how far back do we want to go? As far back as you want to take me. <laughs> All right. So I was born. Okay. I'm not going to go that bad, <laughs> that far, but I would say I, um, I fell into, uh, and this is for people over 40. I fell into a, a sales job in my team. I was a worker, you know, I'm, I'm of the generation that, you know, it's all about my father set me up with a work ethic that's second to none. I mean, that just shoveling driveways, mowing lawns, like how do you make money? And I started working at 14 and by 16, I found my first sales job at a place called Kinney's Shoes, the great American shoe store. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, it one, I think they were uh, partners with, with Foot Locker at some point. Um, and I was selling shoes and I was making 1% commission on shoes and 5% commission on socks and purses and other accessories. Well, guess what? I spent most of my time selling, you know, socks and purses and stuff that would go, you know, you can't buy those shoes without socks. You can't buy those, you know, and I just learned some very basic sales techniques. And then the interesting part was the commission wasn't very much. I don't know if you figured out the math on that, but 1% of a $35 pair of shoes is not going to make you rich. Yeah. Um, but I was competing against other part-time salesmen at other stores around the area. And I just, I just, I got really competitive with it and I just couldn't believe it. And I went to college basically just to get a degree to get out of there so I could start selling again. And I kind of worked my way through a number of sales jobs and, uh, and ended up in uh, franchising, selling franchises. And that was beautiful because not only was I selling kind of a high ticket purchase, like someone buying an actual business from me, but also I was overseeing 50 franchisees in the Midwest. So my job wasn't just to sell them a business. I then had to go in and help them build it. I had to help support them to grow it. And I had to learn everything about how to run a business in order to really be successful in helping them. And by the way, my favorite part of helping them was you need to increase sales. Let's go out for a day together and go selling. And the person looked at me like I was an insane, insane asylum. Like I was crazy, but I'm like, no, let's go. We'd hop in my car and we would drive from strip center to strip center, walk into, 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 into places to sell. I was selling sign businesses. So we, we'd talk about, you know, what kinds of signs they need. And it was amazing how much business we would find just walking in. Here's the best one. This is a funny one. It would say no soliciting on the door. We'd walk in, they'd say, didn't you see the sign? It says no soliciting. We'd say, actually, we, we, we didn't because it's a little small. We actually think it might make sense for you to have a bigger sign. That's what we do. <laughs> I mean, is that, that's pretty. That is pretty, the perfect way to overcome the objection. <laughs> right, pretty crafty. So we were thinking about ways to overcome objections. We we're thinking about ways to do things. Um, but the reality is that um, the way that people sold in the 80s and 90s and the way that I had been taught to sell became less and less effective as more information and internet and everything came into play. And I don't know how you feel, but when you meet someone who's trying to sell you something, I know I don't feel good. And I, I don't think you probably feel good either, especially as an introvert. You're probably like putting yeah. up a wall, right? Well, and as a marketer, I read through it so fast too that I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't like talking to people that much already. I don't want to yeah. talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Take it a step further. You in particular. Um, I mean, there's a reason why when we walk into a department store back in the day, when I guess we were doing that, someone would approach and say, may I help you, sir. And I would say, just looking. And I would put my hands up as low as though this is going to somehow keep them at bay. 
and keep them away from me. This, this, this invisible wall that I just created by putting my hands up. So the whole attitude of, of how we um, uh, think about sales or how we feel about being sold is very different than it was in the eighties and nineties. And even in the early two thousands. And I think a big part of that is the shift of the internet and shift of, um, of, of just how much competition there is for stuff and for services. So I think that was a big part of it. And I actually hired a coach, you know, years ago, back in like 2002, three, and he was instrumental in teaching me improvements and efficiencies and things that I never really thought about. And, um, and I, I realized I was, I was really just trying to outwork everybody. I was trying to outwork my other salesmen, you know, compatriots. And, and when in reality, I wasn't being very efficient in how I was doing things. I was using an outdated system because that's all I knew. And so the, uh, the, the, the equivalency would be, you know, someone that has 10 years of sales experience, but really has one, one year of sales experience 10 times. Like I hadn't made any dramatic shifts up until that point uh, that were, and I was still doing great, by the way, I was still making great money. I still was top of the list of like, you know, competitive against other salespeople and all that. But I think it was, it was a combination of working in franchising and getting that business experience and then working with some coaches that really helped me realize not only my full potential, but that I loved the idea of helping others and the idea of coaching. Um, and if we want to go back just a little further, I'll share one more kind of different thing. Maybe people out that are listening haven't heard before, but when I was 26, I was involved in a small plane crash uh, in a local North suburban Chicago uh, suburb. And we flew up in, in, in to go jet skiing and boating and, and all that. And then we came back and we lost our engine in a small plane, about a six person plane, about 6,000 feet up. It was night, it was raining, it was dark, it was scary. And it was just a life shattering, as you can imagine, event. We crash landed into a house. So it wasn't a, a safe landing. That would be traumatic enough. But I was basically torn apart. I, I uh, was in, I broke both of my arms, my hip, my leg, my, you know, just, I was just a, a ribs. I was just a train wreck. And that also was another piece of the puzzle as it relates to people don't realize how fragile life is. And I don't even think the pandemic has proven that out, that we need to take every day seriously. We need to have fun. Yes. I'm not saying don't be, have fun. I mean, of course have fun, but we, we shouldn't take things for granted. We shouldn't take time for granted. We shouldn't take our children for granted or families or business. We need to make the day and, and, and seize it. All right. And that's really those lessons together. I think the plane crash, the sales learning I did and the flip over of wanting to be a coach where I could help others versus just try to make a buck. That was really uh, a couple of instrumental areas that dictated my future, leading me to want to write books, leading me to want to create content, podcast videos to help the masses. So I'm a one person operation. I'm not interested or able to work with thousands of attorneys at the same time. I'd rather work with 30 or 35 attorneys and put my heart and soul into them and getting them ahead and, and I can only do that every year. And then everyone else that isn't is motivated or finding me or whatever, I would love to have them read my books and email me with a great takeaway they got. Or I listened to your podcast and I, you know, I pulled this out of it. It really helped, you know, change the way I was thinking about running my firm. To me, they're all important for, not for my ego. I mean, certainly it feels good when you teach something and someone uses it and gets results. But I think more it's about, I'm, I'm helping an industry that needs a lot of help. 
And whether I help them directly or I help them indirectly through my content, I don't know that I really care. I think it's really just about, about this is an industry that needs a lot of, of, of care and help and attention, and I'm going to give it to them one way or the other. Yeah, I love that. And there's so much shifting happening in this industry right now that I think a lot of people aren't really prepared for, but it needs it. And it's great that it's happening. But I think people like you need to come in and offer that help to get attorneys through the shift so that they can come out and have a successful firm after it becomes less um, transactional and more human, like what we're seeing right now. Um, and I'm your story of the plane crash is I got chills because that I just can't imagine how scary that would be. But I love that you took away that you know, you have to do things that are important to you and you have to do things um, with a bit of seriousness and understanding how important life is because it can all fall apart. And so it's kind of a bummer that those um, lessons have to come out of like such traumatic things. Yeah. But so, sometimes uh, let's hope that anyone listening to this can listen to the story and take the lesson as opposed to having to go through something like that themselves. But it's I mean, great the, that you're it, sharing. Thank you. I mean, the, in the equivalency too of, of the lawyer, someone that is working at a firm billing, you know, 60 hours a week, goes home at seven o'clock or, or finishes the day at seven, sees their kids for a few minutes, crashes out, does the same thing over and over. How long is that really sustainable? And are you really enjoying your career? Are you, re- is it even a career? Is it a job? And, and you only have, if I'm saying you only have one shot at this and that's the life you're living maybe you need to look at some alternatives. There are ways out of that. You just have to get look at what those alternatives are and make some tough decisions about, about the changes you need to make in your life and who can help you. And that's, you know, that's really important because I don't think you get another shot at this. I think you get one shot and you got to take advantage of it. And, you know, I can't tell you how many 60 year old attorneys come to me and their book has been taken away because the guy who was feeding them retired or whatever and they're like, now what do I do? And I'm like, well, you go back, you know, 30 years and st- that's when you should have started, but you can't do that. So I help, you know, I help them try to make the next 10 or 15 years the best possible. But the reality is that, that lawyers need to be thinking about this almost every day and, and making some tough decisions about how they're going to um, get that balance and get that, that real life out of their job and their career and their family and their balance. That's it. Yeah. And that goes back to doing it all. You can't be good at everything. So if you're spending all of that time dedicated to work and not focusing any time on your family, what's going to happen when you're done working? You know, what's going to happen when it's time to retire and you haven't put any of that time into your family or your own personal life? Because who wants to just work 20 hours a day until they're 90, you know, like, I don't, well, I don't know anyone that wants to No, in, in the same, in the saying goes, you know, like on your deathbed, or you I just wish I had worked more. Like, I don't <laughs> think that's, I don't think that's being uttered out of people's lips on their deathbed. I think they're probably regretful of things they didn't do um, because they maybe worked too much or, you know, or, or, or just, just weren't really happy with the, with the way they ran their life. Yeah. 100%. So if you could go back in time to, you know, say when you first, um, before you wrote your first book, what would you tell yourself at that time? 
Oh man, I would say um, before I wrote my first book, you know, there was something that I did that I, I don't know if it's a regret because it was good life lessons, but I, one of the things that I struggle with and, and I've finally got it under control for the most part is shiny penny syndrome. And maybe people know what I'm talking about, but there's a lot of things that are exciting and new. And when I see something exciting and new, I want to go grab it and I want to play with it and I want to work it and I want to start a new business. I want to start a new business. I want to write a book. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I think there was a time, in fact, I know there was a time where I was running four businesses at the same time. I had 13 employees and my overhead was about 35 grand before I took a paycheck. And I was just spread so thin. And I just, I just was not able to enjoy myself. I also realized I'm not a fan of, I'm great with my clients, but I hate working with employees. I'm not, it's just not something I enjoy because I, I feel like they're not, I'm not either selecting the right people. I like everybody. So I sometimes make my wife will tell you like, I made some bad hires. Well, yeah, because I love everybody. And so I always believe in everybody and always think the best of everybody. And then they fail me and I go, oh my God. Then I blame myself and I go through that routine. So I basically, it just took too long to figure out that I need to stay focused, that I need to stay with what my true calling is, my true passion. And I don't regret the, the, the mistakes I made and the businesses I set up because I think they were great learning lessons. However, that's really what I would say before I wrote my first book was that if I had stayed focused on mainly being a sales trainer or a sales coach, et cetera, business development coach, et cetera, I probably would be a little further along than I am, although I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm doing great. My business is thriving and I'm having a blast. So like I, you end up where you end up and for a variety of reasons. And so I think probably those missteps or those decisions maybe got me where I am today. Just like when I was a younger, like a teenager, I was really shy, especially with girls. And I always wish that I hadn't been, right? I wish I had been like, you know, really easygoing and be able to talk to anybody. It just wasn't the case. But maybe I'd be a different person if that was the case. Maybe if without those struggles, I wouldn't have turned out the way I've turned out, which led me to my wife and my business and things that I have in my life that I love. So I don't know if that answers your question. That was kind of a long about way to do it. But I think that might be the the things that I would say, you know, maybe I, maybe I, I could have made some different decisions back in the day. Yeah, no, it does. It, that answer was supposed to be whatever fell right to you. Okay. So that that's a correct answer in my book. I think that um, what you hit on of, you know, your struggles and decisions that you make get you where you're supposed to be, or, you know, you needed those to get to where you are. I fully resonate with that. You know, every struggle that I've ever had has propelled me towards what I ultimately want in life. And it sucks in the moment, but then you figure it out and you move on and you've learned a lesson that others might not have learned because they didn't have to go through that same hard thing. And you've got all of this wisdom and, you know, you can use that for new things in your next journey. So um, this has been a really great conversation. I have loved talking to you. Where can our listeners find you? Yeah, the easiest way to find me is just to st- go straight forward, go to my website, and it's uh, fretzin.com, F is in Frank, R E T Z I N.com. Um, very visible on LinkedIn. If you type my name into LinkedIn or YouTube, very easy to find me there. And then you can find all four of my books now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon, type in my name or type in the name of the book, and you'll find the books that I have. And, uh, 
know, anytime you buy a book, just know you're supporting my son's 529 plan. So much appreciated on that. Awesome. And if you were going to tell somebody which book or one book that they need to read first of yours, is it the first one you wrote or which book would it be? Ah, that is tough. I would say either the first one sales free selling. If you're interested in learning a lot of the methodologies that I teach lawyers on how to go and get business and more importantly, lock up business without being salesy. That's a really good book. And then the most recent one, the legal business development is in rocket science. That's six years of my article writing for the Chicago daily law bulletin. It's 50 plus chapters of my best articles all in one book. So if you want to get a little sprinkle of marketing, a little sprinkle of branding, time management. You want just a little bit of everything to help round out the way that you're doing things, cross-marketing, how to get introductions from clients. It's all kind of in there. So that would be kind of a more holistic book uh, to to, to buy or or get them both. I think that make a nice combo. There you go. There you go. Awesome. And we'll link all of that in the show notes. Um, Well, thank you again. And to everyone listening, if you learned something or enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with someone else who might also get some value or, you know, send somebody Steve's book uh, (laughs) to help them out. So um, yeah, so that's it. Another great episode of Solo De Facto and we'll catch y'all next time. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information, visit our site at solodefacto.com. And remember, smash that like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist, helping you grow your firm one call, one chat, one new client at a time. To discover how they can help you grow your firm, head on over to backofficebetty's.com and mention the Solo De Facto show for an exclusive listener offer.